You may not have known this, but in college, I was a magician and a clown. And that explains a lot, if you think about it. I was a magician, so I thought today I would start off with a little trick. Uh, I need somebody who has a Visa credit card in their wallet right now to pull it out and stand up, if you have a Visa. Pull it out and stand up. And I need somebody who has a MasterCard to pull it out and get ready. So if you have a Visa, stand up, pull it out and stand up. Who's who's got? All right, all right, good, good. Ben's got one. Now, don't show it to me, all right? You can show it to the people around you if you'd like. Uh, But what I want you to do, Ben, is look at that card, uh, and I want you to stare at it. And right now, I'm going to read your mind. And I'm going to tell you the first number on that card by reading your mind. And I want you to give me a thumbs up if I get it right, okay? The first number on that card is a four. Thumbs up! I did it! Come on, clap for the entertainment. Thank you, Ben. You can have a seat. Now, who's got a MasterCard? Anybody have a MasterCard? All right, stand up, Shelby. Shelby's got a MasterCard. Now, don't show it to me, but you can show it to the people around you. And uh, I want you to look at that. You've got to look right at it now. Shelby, come on, look at the card. And, and I'm going to read your mind now. And the first number on that card is a, don't tell me, it's a five. Thumbs up or thumbs Thumbs up! I did it! Two for two! Now, did I really read their minds? No! Every Visa starts with a four. And every MasterCard starts with a five. You can dazzle people with that trick at the next family party. I just taught that to you. Now, listen, I wanted you to see that because certain things are always true. Every Visa begins with a four. It's always true. Every MasterCard always begins with a five. It's always true. Using that, you can have a lot of fun with people. There are certain things that are spiritually always true. All right, and here's what we're going to see today. It is always true that genuine faith produces love for others. Always. If your faith is genuine, it always, if your card is a visa, it always starts with a four. If your faith is genuine, it always produces love for others. Therefore, if it hasn't produced love for others... You following? It isn't genuine faith. That is a law. Now, we've been looking through the book of James, and he's listed six different things that test and prove and, and show our faith. And one of them that he's going he's gonna to nail down today is this. Genuine faith always produces love. If it didn't produce love, it isn't genuine faith. But the way he illustrates that is by looking at a real person in the Bible, showing how she took care of some people, and then forcing us to measure our faith next to hers. That person is an unlikely candidate. Her name is Rahab. She was found in the Old Testament book of Joshua. And the t- title of the sermon is Rahab's Faith Worked. Because she took care of other people, we know that her faith really worked. Last week we uh, looked into what? What's his name? Last week, who did we look at? His faith worked too. Do you remember? Abraham. His faith worked. We saw it in his life. Today we'll see Rahab's faith worked. It showed up in her life. You're supposed to be asking yourself, is my faith really working? Two questions we're going to ask today. You can jot these down. Throughout the whole message, you should be asking yourself these questions. Uh, Are you saved by faith? The Bible sometimes asks you to ask yourself, are you really saved yet? The next one is this. Are you living out your faith? And if the second is false... The first is false too. You must be living it out 
for it to be genuine. Let's pray, and then we'll look at how Rahab can show us genuine saving faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you don't just give us a long list of rules. Uh, You show us real people, sinful people, who find you by faith and are saved forever. You show us how lives are changed through faith. We ask that you would display for us this morning, Lord, if our faith is genuine. Show us how to live it out. And if it's not real, if it's not living yet, show us that too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is going to be a a great morning. We're going to spend some time with Rahab. Then we are going to take communion together. And you'll see how those two tie together as we move through the sermon. But you can go to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. The book of Joshua chapter 2. While you're going there, you don't have to turn to James. I'll read the two verses in James that introduce Rahab. Okay, so you're going to Joshua 2. James 2.25 says this, In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now why did James bring Rahab up? Well, let's find out. Looking back to Joshua chapter 2, you're turning back in time to 1400 B.C. It's a long, long time ago. 1400 years before Christ. And we're going to the city of Jericho, which is a fortress city. We're encountering a man named Joshua. You remember Joshua, he was Moses' top commander, uh, led the Israelites out into battle, and Joshua was one of the 12 spies who went out. After Moses led the people out of Egypt, there were 12 of them. Ten of them were bad. They brought back a bad report on the land, and they died right there because of their lack of faith. Two of them, though, were faithful spies, Joshua and and Caleb. Now, Joshua and Caleb got to live. They were like the only two senior citizens left in the whole country. I mean, they always wanted bingo. It was amazing because there were only two of them there. What would it be like if there were only two people left from an entire generation? God killed over a 40-year period period, all of their uh, peers because of their lack of faith. They died in the desert as a judgment. Joshua and Caleb now, 40 years later, were ready to storm into Canaan. They were punished. They were set back because of the sins of other people. But Jericho stood in the way. We've got a picture of a map of Jericho just to show you where it's at. There's Jerusalem. I got this from Google Maps. There it is. Jerusalem's the red dot. And then if you look over to the right, Jericho's the orange dot. Then the Jordan River is flowing right down. So the the Israelites are about, after 40 years in the wilderness, to cross the Jordan River and, and then assault Jericho, the fortress city. They're a little nervous. They don't know how this is going to play out. So let me read to you from Joshua 2, verse 1. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went, came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. So, These two Israelites are sent out as spies, and Joshua says, check out the whole land, but especially Jericho. So they show up at Jericho, and they're supposed to just play it cool, like like tourists, like, hey, just passing through, 
We're just tourists. We're, only it's a fortress city. So uh, if I had to pick a fortress city just to give you in mind what it would feel like to go to Jericho, here's a picture of a fortress city. That, that's the gateway into Mordor, okay? Uh, so imagine walking up to that gate, just playing it cool. Like, yeah, we're just here for a few days on business or maybe, you know, we're just seeing the sights and they had to like blend in. Here's another picture of a fortress city. There's the, there's the gate leading into Mordor. And so they walk in and uh, they've got like selfie stick out, you know, they're taking pictures, smile and and yet they're snooping. They're like checking out the gate and then looking at where the water sources are and where do they have the food. And, and guess what? They were not very good spies because they got caught on the first day they were there. They like stood out somehow like a, like a sore thumb. And, and by the time the sun went down, the king's like, two spies in the city, bring them to me, they're dead. Bad spies. So um, I sometimes ask myself, who would play the part of these spies if it was a movie? So I picked today these two spies to play the part of these two spies, Israelite spies. That's Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. There was a movie in the 80s called Spies Like Us. I got to watch movies in the 80s because I wasn't saved yet. So everyone with fundamentalist roots is laughing. There's, uh, there's, there's the spies. Imagine these two walking around Jericho trying to like blend in. Yeah, we're just here past it. And they get caught right away. But... They, they're in this, like, hotel with, it's almost like a bed and breakfast with uh, Rahab, the prostitute, it says she's a prostitute, so this was like a bed and breakfast with benefits type setup here, and, and that's where they stay. We don't know, maybe they had a good travelocity rating, we don't really know, but there they were, and this is just all about to go down. The king sends his... Uh, security force over to pick up these two spies. And he issues a warrant for their arrest. So government officials now show up to Rahab's little bed and breakfast plus benefits and says, hand them over, and Rahab has a choice to make. If she turns them in, she's a hero. And, and here, her, her whole prostitute image could be changed. Now she's the one who caught the spies, turned them in, saved the city. Like, this could be a great day for her. Why wouldn't she? And uh, reading on, though, it says in verse 4, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut and as soon as, as, soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now this is a shocking turn of events. Why would she hide the spies? And the narrative here leaves us wondering. She should have turned them in. Instead, she lies and sends the king's officials on this wild goose chase. She just lied to Homeland Security. Why would she do that? And now we've got this portrait of these two really bad spies who got caught on their first day in Jericho up on the roof of a brothel hiding in haystacks. And I just wonder what they were talking about. We're so dead. We're so dead. We got caught on our first day here. Joshua was a great spy and we got caught on our first day here. We're dead. I mean, what were they talking about? I would love to just have a, a recorder up there, you know. 
course we got caught. You wore your I Heart Moses t-shirt. I told you not to wear that in a Jericho. How could you? Someone's coming. They're dead. They're humiliated. They've got zero chance of, of surviving this thing. And then Rahab comes up. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, Listen, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. I think their eyes got really big when she said that. What did she just say? I know that the Lord has given you the land. She's in a fortress. Jericho is built on this hill. Then there was a wall. Then there was more hill. Then there was more wall. Then there was more hill. Then there was a retaining wall at the bottom of it all. There's no way Israel's getting into this city. And she looks at the spies and says, I know that you're going to take us out. How did she know that? Nobody ever told her the Bible story of Jericho growing up. She didn't know about the wall falling down. She didn't know any of that. Her, her, her stories growing up were about how all of these gods inhabit the spiritual lands and they live in the rivers and they live on the moon and they live in the sun. That's what she heard growing up. And now she's looking at two Israelites and saying, we're going down and I know it. In fact, you're going to take the whole land. I think their eyes were really big. She said in verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Fascinating truth. What were the Israelites so afraid of 40 years ago before this? What were they afraid of? We're going to lose. And what did she just say? We were terrified the moment we heard it. In other words, you could have taken us out 40 years ago if you had tried. Wow. In all these years, she's thinking about it. Man, God did that? Their God did that? Rahab's had all this time to think this through. And her conclusion is she trusted the God of the Israelites. She believed what she heard. Hey, jot this down. Number one, you must believe the truth about God. Rahab's faith worked. If your faith is going to work, you have to believe the truth about God. She's a role model for us in that. God revealed himself to the ancient world. He did it in many ways. God reveals himself through creation. Do you know that if you go out to the Rocky Mountains, if you watch a beautiful sunset along this the scenic landscape, there's something in nature saying there is a God. There is a God. In the animal kingdom, in the plant kingdom, when you're amazed and wonder by what you learn about creation, there's something in that hardwired to say there is a God and he's amazing. But you don't learn specifics about him through that. You can't be saved by that information. God reveals himself through conscience. There's an inner voice in you that tells you when you're about to do something is wrong. God reveals himself through his word. God's fullest, most complete, his final and supreme revelation is through his son. It says in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This is God showing himself to you. And God revealed himself through Israel. Israel is what we would call special revelation, meaning God revealed specific parts of his saving plan through the nation of Israel. Therefore, for Jericho to stand in the way of Israel. They were standing in the way of God's plan of salvation unfolding. 
If they rejected Israel, they rejected eternal life. How else would would Israel be established? How else would Jerusalem come on the map? How else would Jesus be born and die? And any army or city that stood in the way of that plan happening was trying to prevent Jesus from coming into the world. Therefore, they couldn't be spared. And they were inviting God's judgment on themselves. Rahab believed what she heard. And it's imperative that you believe what God reveals. We believe that if God doesn't reveal himself to you, you can't know anything about him. You can't go on some quest into the Himalayas and find the truth about God. You can't go on some internal journey and discover what you believe about God. He has to show himself to you, and he's done it. Therefore, you have to believe what you heard from God, or you can't be saved. That was true for Rahab. What exactly did she believe? I think you'll be shocked how close her faith is to ours. Write this down. Rahab believed that God delivered his people from slavery. It says in verse 10, We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. The Israelites were in slavery and bondage in Egypt. They were building the pyramids. They were held captive by Pharaoh, and God broke them out. You know the story. Moses went up to the Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I don't think I want to. And judgment after judgment was heaped upon the gods of Egypt until what? Until the Pharaoh was holding his own firstborn son dead in his arms because of his own stubbornness. And that's the end. That's the judgment God brings on, on our stubbornness too. Finally, he let the Israelites go, but then he came after them and God swallowed them up in the Red Sea. God delivered his people out of bondage. That teaches you something about the condition of your soul. You need God to break you free from spiritual bondage or you can't be saved. Rahab believed that. God delivered his people from slavery. You have to believe that in order to be saved. Next, Rahab believed that God judged the wicked. Jot that down. God judged the wicked. It says in verse 10, We also heard what you did. So there were battles after they exited Egypt. We also heard you did, what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og. Who names their boy Og, really? They find that name in a baby book. If you're expecting, you might want to consider this name Og. I picture him like with one eye. Og. Imagine like, imagine like your son's out playing Little League and, and they bring him the relief pitcher. Now on the mound, number nine, Og. Henderson. <laughs> you're just like... I don't want my kid batting against it. It's almost like they started to name him something, like, let's call him Oliver. But they were like, let's call him Og. Something about the kid just stopped him in their track. I don't know. Anyway, I wouldn't want to mess with Og or Sihon. That sounds like a Star Trek villain, Sihon. And Israel took him out. Gone. And all these other kings are like, they killed Og? (gasps) They were terrified. Rahab believed that God judged the wicked. Therefore, Rahab was right to be afraid that God's judgment would come on her wicked city. She lived in a wicked country. They were violent. They were sexually immoral. They sacrificed their children to false gods. And God's patience had run out. It took over 400 years. God was talking to Abraham about these people. But God said, now's the time. And Rahab knew her city was going to be burnt to the ground and everyone in it was going to die. She knew that. God judged the wicked. Jot this down. She believed that God led Israel into the land of promise and peace. She said in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. 
You're not just going to take us out. You're going to take the whole, the, whole, the whole land is coming to you. I know God's going to do that. They didn't even believe that yet. She's like, I know, we're all going to fall. You're going to have the whole land to yourself. Listen, this idea of God breaking his people free from bondage, judging the wicked, and settling his people in a land of peace and promise is a portrait of you getting to heaven. Do you understand that? God's showing you how to get to heaven through Israel. You have to be broken out of slavery because God's judgment is coming. Only he can settle you in a land of peace and prosperity forever. He's showing that to you through Israel. And Jericho is trying to stop it from happening. We have to believe the same things she did. But today our culture denies that there is only one truth, right? We're told, well, there are many ways to God. That's called relativism. That means that there are more, there's more than one way, and it's really, as long as you believe what you believe, and as long as you truly believe it, then you'll be okay probably. That's called relativism. Listen, if Rahab believed what she was raised on, uh, she, would have, she would have died. That could not save her. She had to believe that the one true God was going to bring the judgment on her city that he foretold. She had to believe that to be saved. No other faith could have saved her. She had to believe in the one true God. That's true of you and me. We have to believe the truth as found in the Bible, as revealed in history, or we'll die like the rest of humanity. You must believe the truth about God. And jot this down, number two, you must ask to be saved. Rahab shows us how faith works. And the second thing is you must ask to be saved. In verse 12, she says this, their spies are on their back. Their life is in the palm of her hand. So what does she do? Look at verse 12. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She asked to be saved. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Wow. She asked to be saved. She portrays a crisis decision. She had five seconds to figure out what she was going to do here. If she turns him in, she lives today. But when Israel comes, she knows she, she, knows she dies. If she hides him, she might die, but she's trusting them to come back and save her. Do you see the gravity of her choice? And do you also see how their life, their lives are in the palm of her hand, but she knows that her life rests with them. Only she can save them, and only they can save her. That's how she figured this out. I'm going to let them go because they can save me because their God is coming and we're all going to die. Wow. She asked to be saved. She knew God's judgment was coming and she moved herself and she moved her family to safety given God's judgment was on its way. That shows us what faith really is. Faith moves in line with God's plan towards safety. Let me tell you what faith isn't. Let me tell you about faith that can't save. You can jot this down. Faith is not just a feeling that helps us get by. 
Well, I had faith. In what? Well, just faith. Faith is not a feeling that helps us cope with the miseries of this life. That's not what it is. Jot this down. Faith is not a creed that we signed at some point in the past. Do you have faith? Yeah, I went to religious ed. I took a test. I wrote a report. I have faith. Nope, that's not biblical faith. That's not saving faith. Agreeing to some facts you found on some doctrinal statement is not faith. You can write this down. Faith isn't baseless optimism that believes everything happens for a reason. Do you hear people say that ever? Like their life blows up because they've made a series of very bad choices over the period of three, four, five years. And then when you listen to their explanation of how they just tore their own life apart, they say, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, I can give you the reasons why that happened. But they want this general, well, spiritual faith that that everything happens for a reason, and conveniently they don't have to admit that they are part of the problem. The problem is out there somewhere. That's not faith. Faith isn't a mystic hope, like you blow out birthday candles and cross your fingers and everything will be okay. That's not what faith is. Jot this down. Faith believes Jesus alone can save us from judgment. Rahab believed that only these Israelites could save her from judgment. She's portraying what saving faith really is. Only Jesus can save me from judgment. This is a woman who has no hope of finding favor with God. She lives in a pagan city. She's a whore. She's got no chance of going to heaven. But she asks these Israelites, when you come, save me and my family. And they agree. That's a portrait of grace. She's not qualified for this. She's done nothing to deserve this. She is the one in the city who gets saved. What a portrait of God's mercy. He doesn't pick the strong. He doesn't pick the smart. He doesn't pick the rich. He picks the filthy one who has faith and believes what she heard. She gets out alive. We learn a lot from her. That's how saving faith works. You must ask to be saved. Also notice that she made a distinct, decisive break with the world. She came out from them. She didn't stay with them. She was willing to leave her whole city. They all died. She was willing to join a whole new country. Imagine if that was a condition of salvation today. You can be saved if you leave the United States and go live in Canada, and you have to cheer for the maple leaves. I got to move out of my country? She did, and she did it. She had to leave everything behind. Hey, do you believe Jesus alone can save you from judgment? And have you displayed that that's your faith? Because she did. Sometimes people say they're Christians, but they have not left their friendship with the world behind. And they don't identify themselves with the community of faith. They sit in the world, they live in the world, they run with the world, and they bash the church. They don't go to church. I'm really wary about the faith of those people. I'm confused by what they're saying. Because it doesn't look like they are afraid of the judgment coming on the world. They sure don't act like it. There's a huge question mark over their salvation if they don't want to be around God's people. Um, The world cannot save you. The world cannot satisfy you. So people who are sitting comfortably in the world are making themselves cozy in Jericho. And God's judgment is coming on the world. I think one of the ways that we know 
if a person truly has broken their ties with the world is they've gotten baptized. They've gotten up in front of friendly people in the church and said, I am a Christian, I follow Christ. And listen, if you haven't even done that, there is a big question mark over your soul. If you haven't been baptized, if you haven't done the first thing that God asks believers to do, why? Why haven't you broken away from your ties with the world? Why haven't you told Christians you're saved? I highly doubt you're telling people in the world you're saved if you haven't even told your church yet. Maybe it's time for you to stop playing games with the world and start, like Rahab, decisively declaring your allegiance to the people of God, knowing that that's the only way you can be saved. What is she showing us? She's showing us you have to believe the truth about God to be saved. He delivers us from slavery. He judges the wicked. He leads his people into the land of promise. Then you have to ask to be saved. And only faith in Jesus can save you from judgment. Here's the third thing. Jot this down. You must help others get out of harm's way. And this is why James includes this story. In verse 15, it says, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. She said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. So she helps the spies get away after showing them hospitality. right? And if you skip ahead to chapter 6, verse 22, now the Israelites are about to take Jericho out. And in 622, we hear everyone in the city is about to die. They will spare no one. This is God's terrifying judgment. And it says in chapter 6, verse 22, But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. All right, now I just wonder how that conversation went down. First she saved the spies. Then she went to her family and said, Listen, two Israelite spies came to my bed and breakfast with benefits. And I hid him. And her family was probably like, what? The king sent two people to arrest him and I lied and sent him away. And then the family said, what? Put yourself in their shoes. This is the promiscuous sister. This is the social outcast who has done nothing with her life. And she's sitting you down and saying, listen, you have to come into my hotel because the Israelites are going to tear our city down and you can only be saved if you come and stay with me. And they did. Mom and dad took the kids. They're all there. And they all get saved. It's amazing. She moved her family out of harm's way. Somehow they shared in her faith. And they were saved. Jot this down. If she didn't live out her faith, she would have perished. Uh, This right here is the most important part of the sermon. So please understand this. When she looked down at those spies, the way she treated them saved her life. Did you follow that? Her hospitality toward them spared her from judgment. James is using this as an example to show us just how important it is that we love others, especially in the church. Listen, please follow me here. Whenever you see someone in need, especially in the church, We should love them as if our judgment depends on it. As if they're the ones who are going to spare us on the day of God's awful judgment. That's how important it is that we love other people. Because if we don't love other people and God can't find evidence of that on the day of judgment, we are doomed. This is the main thing we have to understand. 
Love is the proof of faith in God's court of law. If you don't love, your faith doesn't work. Just as Rahab's life was bound up in loving those two spies, so your life is bound up in loving those around you. It's that important. And you can't use theology to wiggle out of that harsh truth. God really wants you to know how important it is that love springs forth from your faith. Your eternity depends on that. Wow. If she didn't live out her faith, she would have perished. The Bible is filled with passages that tell us just how important love is. 1 Corinthians 13, if I do not love, I am... What? If I do not love, I am... Nothing! He has told us that before. Everything you do in your life minus love equals nothing. That's how crucial and imperative it is that you love. She helped get others out of harm's way, and in doing so, she was out of harm's way. But she would have perished. This is what it means when James says she was justified by her works. Her works didn't save her. Her works proved she was saved. Her works were evidence that contributed to the validity of her salvation. What a role model for you and me. If, if you said you were married and I said, prove it, you could. If you said you were a Bears fan and I said, prove it, you could. If you say I'm a Christian and I say, prove it, could you? If your life is empty of love for God and others, then you can't. And your faith is dead. Jot this down. If she didn't live out her faith, others would have perished. She realized this truth applied to everyone, and she lovingly reached out with the truth to others, and she helped save others. Everyone young and old died in Jericho. Listen, I really want that horrifying thought to sink into your heart for just one second. Every single person, young and old, rich and poor, died in Jericho. Blood ran down the streets, and then they set the city on fire. No one was spared but one family. Please see how horrifying God's judgment really is and learn about your God. Then realize that before his judgment came, he was faithful to reach into that city and save the woman who had faith. And look at his mercy. He saved the prostitute before he judged the city. You can be saved. Sometimes when people hear stories of the Bible about the slaughter in Canaan and Jericho and Noah's Ark, they say, I could never follow a God like that. It would judge people like that. I could never follow a God like that. And whenever they say that, I always say the same thing. I say, you should be terrified of God's judgment. It's coming soon. You won't escape. And he's given you plenty of warnings before it happened. Never back down from the chance to tell people God's judgment is horrifying and it's coming. Don't, don't try and, well, most of them didn't. Don't try and soften it up. Show them that it's coming and it will be just and fair and unavoidable. And it will fall on them. Write this down. We must help others get out of harm's way. If she didn't live out her faith, she would have perished. If she didn't live out her faith, others would have perished. We have to tell them the truth. And write this down. We must live out our faith or we will perish. We must live it out. It has to show up in life. Conquest of Canaan warns us of God's thorough judgment that's coming. Rahab the prostitute shows us what it means to live out a living faith. And in James 2.25, he warns us. 2.26, he says, As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So 
Faith that doesn't show up in my life, just how helpful is that? Uh, Go to a funeral home and ask the body in the coffin for a ride home. You getting anywhere? Your faith is in that casket if it doesn't show up in your life and it's taking you nowhere. God is warning you that faith that doesn't show up in your life, if you talk the talk but don't walk the walk, that faith is not taking you anywhere. And Rahab shows us living faith, breathing faith. She, made, she left everything behind. She sacrificed it all. There was so much evidence, especially in the way she treated the spies. She left a legacy behind. The way that God honored Rahab is really mind-boggling. The way that he would pick this woman who's so despised and shameful and wicked and low and sinful and set her in a place of honor in his word. The fact that we're talking about her today shows his mercy. Wow. Do you know that if Mary, mother of Christ, sat down on Ancestry.com, have you done that before? Ancestry.com, trace your family tree. Do you know that if Mary did that, she would find that she's related to Rahab? Get this, though. Do you know that if Joseph sat down and did it, he also is related to Rahab? There was a split generations, many generations before. There was a split in the family tree. But both parents of our Messiah sprang forth from the womb of this whore. What an honor God has given her. By works? Because she was something? No! By grace he saved her. But her faith showed up. It was on full display. What an amazing woman this is. But really, her story makes us see how amazing God is. I want you to know that God is so awesome and holy and mighty that he will soon one day judge all the sins of human history thoroughly, finally. That day is coming. It's closer today than it was yesterday. When you stand in the judgment, nothing you say will get you out. But if Christ stands in your place, if you believe what you heard, that God can pull you out of slavery and settle you into the promised land by his grace, then you'll be saved. Have you asked Jesus to be your savior? Does that faith show up in the way you treat God and other people throughout your life? Or have you been playing games with God? You never know when God is giving you your last chance This was Rahab's last chance. Right now, she's deciding life or death. Which side am I on? That can be you this morning. This can be the last chance God gives you. Are you with him or are you against him? And if you believe Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose again, you will be saved. He saved the prostitute, this pagan prostitute, out of this doomed city. He can save you, and he will. But you have to believe what he's revealed. Now, one way that you can show, can demonstrate, can live out that you do have a living faith is through communion. Communion is remembering that Jesus died on the cross to save you. When you take the juice, you're saying the blood of Christ washes away your sin. When you take the bread, you're saying his body was broken, punished for you. And listen, if you have never asked Jesus to save you, I want to give you a chance this morning to take communion for the first time by faith. I want you, as you hold the elements, I want you to be thinking, Jesus died to save me from God's coming judgment. 
And I want you to ask Jesus to save you. If you are a Christian, I want you to reflect on the body and the blood of Christ. And I want you to say, I'm never going to give up or lose heart. God wants me to grow in love and he wants me to live this out because of all that Jesus did for me. But we're going to do that now. I'm going to invite the ushers up. I'm going to invite the worship team up right now. We're going to take communion together. As the trays come around, grab two cups. They're inside each other and then wait. I'll come back up and we're going to take communion together. But listen, this is your chance to talk to your God about all that he's done for you in Christ. This is your chance for your faith to work. And if you've never asked Jesus to save you, I want you to consider doing that right here and right now. This is a chance for you to meditate and pray on the grace that God has given us. He's pulled us out of a doomed world. And he's promised us that he will set us in the land of promise and peace only by faith in his son. I want you to reflect on that right now as the ushers are going to begin passing out the communion elements. And then wait, and I'll come up in a moment, and we'll take of communion together.